Romans chapter 3, uh, verses 19, and I've actually studied up until verse 23. Uh, so hopefully we'll make it through. If not, oh well, no big deal. We got until the rapture. <laughs> Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 19. Uh, just real quick. Uh, remember, we're finishing up the heading. If I get to it. Yes. All the world is guilty before God. And that's verses 9 through 20. So we're going to finish that up and get into the next heading. So verses 19 and 20 will, will fall under that heading. And then we'll finish it up and move on to the next. Uh, I think you still had that on. I think I had notes for last, the last one. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and just read verses 19 through 23. It says, Now we know that what things soever the law says, it says to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Actually, let's just go ahead and stop right there, finish up this section, and then we get into the next section. But you'll see that this section, it, it helps to lead into it. So, yeah, uh, go ahead, verse 19. Now we know that what things soever the law says, it says to them who are under the law. Okay. It means to inform the Jews that verses 10 through 18 apply to them as well as the Gentiles. All were and are equally guilty before God. And that was really what Paul was bringing out in Romans chapter 1, chapter 2, and really most of this chapter as well. That all mankind is guilty and really hopeless. Go ahead, Dad. That every mouth may be stopped. Uh, this means uh, exactly what it says. The Gentiles were claiming ignorance. Remember we talked about that. The Gentiles were claiming ignorance. Oh, well, we didn't know. And the Jews were claiming exemption from judgment. So everybody just thought, hey, oh, well, if you're a Gentile, oh, hey, look, we're scot-free. Well, hey, look, we didn't know. Well, that was that's not an excuse for God. And then also the Jews, well, we're, we're exempt. We're God's chosen people. That's not, nope, that's not going to happen either. And that's really what Paul is trying to hammer home, that all men are guilty. So that way, when you are really convinced that you're sick, you'll go to the doctor. So the whole idea from Paul is to really hammer home and convince that you are a sinner and guilty. That way, whenever he gives the remedy, they'll say, oh, I need that. So that's kind of the idea. That's why he's so strong with it. Okay, go ahead, Dad. And all the world may become guilty before God. Irrespective of who they are, where they are, what they are, or why they are, every human being on the face of the earth who has ever been born with the exception of Jesus Christ is guilty before God. We are all guilty before God. Uh, verse 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. This should read by works of the law. So it should read, therefore, by the works of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. Uh, works of the law, uh, I, not really a definition, just I guess somewhat like an example, but personal religious efforts. And ceremonies to obtain moral perfection is the idea. The structure of the sentence in the Greek includes the Mosaic law, but goes much further, including law in a deeper and more general sense. As written both in the Ten Commandments and in the hearts of the Gentiles. And consequently, embracing the moral deeds of both Gentiles and Jews. So it is the commandments and, the, and everything in the Mosaic law, but it really 
embodies a whole, a whole lot more than that, even though basically the Mosaic Law pretty much covers just about everything. But it's not just—it's not strictly only to the Mosaic Law. It goes even to other things. The Holy Spirit is speaking of the Law of Moses, but also every single man-devised effort that has ever existed. In these texts, the Mosaic Law may indeed be regarded as the primary reference, but only as representing a universal legislation, which must of necessity include all the efforts of man to justify himself. So you, you cannot and will not be justified by any works of the law or any law. It's kind of the idea. You cannot, you will not and you cannot by any works of the law or any law be justified. In this, it cannot justify Uh, in, in God's sight, in, in his, that's the most important, in his sight, it really doesn't matter in the sight of man, it's in God's sight, no, and, and ultimately it all falls short, it doesn't, it does not reach the intended goal, any works of the law will never get you to the place that you need to be with God, because you have to do it perfectly, all the time, never failing one time. That's why it's not possible. For us, it's, not, it's just not possible. For, for a human being in this sinful body, in our fallen state, it is, it is literally not possible. Therefore, no one can be justified by the works of the law. It's not possible. Darren, I'm glad you said that because so importantly, we compare... Uh, even outside of Christianity, and we look even you know men, even other religions that that from our perspective did great lives and, and they did great deeds, and, and but it's always by comparison we compare to ourselves and we say by our measurements and the rest of the human race these people are great and saints they must have a special place to God. Because they look like they're above the rest of us in their good deeds. But as you said, from God's perspective, it has to be perfection. It's not just doing a good deed, it's doing it for the right reason and doing it at the right time. It's perfect. It goes beyond just the deed itself, it goes to the heart. And every one of us has fallen short in that. We cannot do it except for Christ. So he's the only one that actually did that. And fulfill the law in its, you know, in, in every aspect of it. In, in other words, in God's eyes, Christ fulfilled the law. In man's eyes, we can look at a lot of other people and say they're those good people. And by comparison to other people, yeah, because that's how we compare. Why do we think we're good people? When we compare ourselves to somebody else and go, we're not like them, so we're good people. But God doesn't look at the man man's heart like that. Yeah, that what you're referring to, which we've all, we're all guilty of, but we've all done it, is what we call relative righteousness. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I'm righteous compared to you. <laughs> but the problem with that is there's always going to be someone that, when they look at you, they say. I'm righteous compared to you. <laughs> so it's not. It's not. It's not a. It's not. It's not fair. It's sin. It is sin. The view of relative righteousness is it's, we've all done. We're all guilty of it. But it is. It is wrong. Uh, God doesn't. God doesn't work that way. He doesn't. He just does not work that way. He views it not this way. You're you compared to you compared to so and so. It's you compared to Christ. Well, we all fail. If it's us compared to Christ, which it is, we all fail. We have no shot. I mean, we don't. That's the true comparison. It's not a horizontal comparison. It's a vertical one. And we all, when it comes, yeah, not this Not me and Brother Danny. It's me and the Lord. But we do that. We, we really, it's, it's true. We do that like, man, I tell you what, I, 
I ain't perfect, but compared to so and so, God obviously God's favor is upon my life, and that it's 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 totally wrong. It's it's wrong, and it's not that's not what the gospel teaches. And in all reality, that is totally contrary to the cross of Christ. <laughs> but it, we, we're all guilty of it. So if you raise your hand and say, oh, that's me. Well, we're all raising our hands with you. So <laughs> you are not alone. It says that we all, <laughs> we all are sinners. Uh, go ahead, Dad. Uh, this now swings back to the law of Moses exclusively and states its purpose. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. The, the, the law was meant to uh, define sin. The law says, thou shalt not covet. Well, that shows you and teaches you what covetousness is. And when you do it, you know that, oh, that's, that's not right. That's, that's really what the law the law, that's kind of one of the, that is the purpose of the law besides showing you that you're unrighteous and that you don't measure up, is that it defines sin. Paul said, I wouldn't know what covetousness was if it wasn't for the law. I wouldn't know that what I was doing was covetousness and that it was wrong in the eyes of God. The law just simply says this is right and this is wrong. If we didn't have the law, we wouldn't know. We really would. We would just have conscience. But remember, we talked about that in Romans earlier. In Romans, we talked that conscience is not it's not a viable option really to continuously lead us because it can be seared. The first time you steal something, oh, you feel so sick. But it's a little easy to steal it the second time. You, I mean, the first, when I was growing up, I didn't want to do something. Oh, I was terrified. I was scared. But once I actually did it once, it was easier to do it the second time. Well, what happened? What, 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 your conscience got seared. It became less and less. First time, it was, you remembered it was present big time. It was like, oh, and you just felt sick. You, all these things, you felt so bad. Whatever you did, you felt bad. And it was just like, oh, my gosh. And then the second time, it was, it was easier to do. And when you were done with whatever your deed was, you didn't. It wasn't as bad. You didn't have that sick to your stomach feeling. That is your conscience, and it got is being seared. So it's not. It's not a reliable God. The, the law had to come before the law was given. If you remember correctly, before the law was given in the Old Testament, it said every man did what was right in his own eyes. Well, what was the result of that? The flood had to happen because. It said that it said that man's hearts and minds were on evil constantly. The law, all the law is, is like an emergency break to our sinfulness. See, that's how that's how far we've fallen. We got sin like crazy, and the law says, whatever you do, at least don't kill. <laughs> We have hate and all kind of things, and that's the root of murder. Yeah. Yeah. So the law is like a last resort e-break that it says, okay, look, you're going to hate because you're sinful. You, the fall has happened. You have a sin nature. You are going to hate, but at least don't kill. It's like a last resort e-break for our sin. And even that, it, we all know, it doesn't always work. Because sometimes we'll barrel right through that like it's not even there. So it, it's like, that's, that's why to live, to live by law and think you're doing something is foolish. Because it's an emergency break. It says at least don't do this thing. But really God's not, it's a lot, he's, he's interested in more than just the act of murder. Really what he wants is for you to not hate. Yeah. Because that's what murder comes from. So you see the law. Grace actually demands way more than law will ever demand. 
Law says at least just just don't just whatever you do, just don't kill. Grace says if you hate your brother. If you think murder, you committed murder. Yep. Law says don't commit adultery. Grace says if you look upon a woman and in your heart you said you even lust, you sin. See, so don't tell me that grace is easier than law. Well, no, we've got to have law. No, grace demands more. You get my food wrong at the restaurant and I'm under law. Law just says don't kill you. (laughs) But under grace, I think about raising my voice. Waiter or the waitress and the Holy Spirit says, better calm down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So which one is more demanding? Yeah. Grace or law? Yeah. That term greasy grace yeah. is blasphemy. Right. You've got to be kidding me. Grace demands much more than law ever demands. True biblical, I'm talking about biblical grace. You talked about that this morning in my message this morning in Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 through 10 where it it says for by grace are you saved. That actually in the Greek it says for by the grace. The grace. The grace. You see just like there is the faith, one faith, there is the grace. True biblical faith, true biblical grace. A lot of the stuff that gets taught in the church world today is not true biblical faith and it's not true biblical grace. Grace doesn't say you can live in sin and do whatever you want. Grace actually says, actually, there's a righteousness higher than that of the law and that's where you need to be. Which we'll be getting into some of this. I hope I get ahead of you by saying this is the difference Find sin, which we talked about, and consequently make it sinful. But it in no way emancipated from it, nor was it designed to do so. The law was never gave, never set you free from the sin. It just said, "Don't do it." Like my dad said, it it said, "Don't do," but never gave me any power to not yeah. do it. <laughs> so you having a sin nature. You say, don't do, and guess what that sin nature on the inside of you is going to do? It's going Mm -hmm. to rebel against that law. See, that's why the law is so uh, detrimental for a believer. Because the the sin nature will rebel against any law that it can. You put a law, as a believer, you put a law on yourself, and the sin nature comes back to life. It revives. See, when your faith is in Christ, there is no law. Therefore, there's nothing for the sin nature to rebel against. Because you got no law. But the moment you put a law there, the sin nature has something to rebel against. It gives it, Brother Larson says, it's a base of operations. You take away law, you take away the power of the sin nature. He has, he had, there's nothing there. Christ, Christ did it through the cross. We, we're, we are crucified to the law in Christ. We don't, the law, it's, 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 in scripture it says that the law is not meant for a righteous man. 
The law is not meant for the law. What we just talked about, what was the purpose of the law? The purpose of the law is to reveal sin, to show you what sin is and to show you that you're a sinner. Well, if you've accepted Christ and you, you now have justification, you are a righteous man in Christ. He's given you his righteousness. You have imputed righteousness, which means God sees you as perfect and righteous, a law keeper, as though you've never broken the law one time in your entire life. And you're free from the law. You didn't get your righteousness by law keeping. You got it by faith in Christ. So when you turn back to law, you forfeit the righteousness that's been given to you freely in Christ. And now you now give a base of operations for the sin nature to start pumping back into your heart. The strength of sin is law. The strength of sin is law. The strength of the sin nature is law. This is not really exactly where we're at, but the strength of the sin nature is law. Remember we talked about, we t I gave the, the example of it. If, I, if this was my house, <laughs> if this was my house and I said, I'm going away for two weeks, you just watch my house. I said, you got access to anything you want. Whatever, you want to use the kitchen? Lovely kitchen. You want to use the lovely kitchen? Look at this house promo. <laughs> if you want to use the kitchen, you have, to, you have access to anything you want in here. And as I'm leaving, I say, oh, wait, one thing. Whatever you do, don't go look in that back room. Just don't go in the back room. Other, you can use everything else, but don't go look in the back room. All right, two weeks. I'll be gone. But remember, don't go look in the back room. I gave you one law. Don't go look in the back room. Now, you may never actually go look in the back room, but in your heart. <laughs> what is the very first thing that you want to go do? What is in that room? <laughs> that law. And what you feel is real. Those things are real. That law that I've placed upon you. The sin nature sees that law and rebels against it. Don't go in the room. The sin nature is like, we need to go in that room. <laughs> <laughs> Don't go in the room. We need to go in the room. And you can't even sleep right. at night. It's like you have a craving and a lust in your body to go. It's a strong word, but that's really what you experience. A, a lust to go into that room. What is in the room? And you'll let, you won't be able to sleep at night. Because you have got to get to that room. That's, that's what happens when you apply law to your life. The sin nature does that. Okay. It's, it springs the sin nature back into action. You remove law, the sin nature is dormant. You bring law in, the sin nature is revived. And he's going to start working again. If the sin nature is like a factory, when you place your faith into Christ and, the, and that factory produces evil in your heart, wickedness in your heart, all kind of evil desires, lusts, passions, cravings, thoughts, everything. It's a factory that produces that and dumps it into your heart. Dumps it into your heart. Remember we talked about the heart. If the heart was a swimming pool, the sin nature is like a sewage line and the valve is open and it's dumping sewage into your heart. And that heart is just sewage water now. Well, when you place your faith into Christ and the cross, then what happens is the valve is closed. The sin nature is no longer dumping into that pool, swimming pool or your heart. And then the process of sanctification is to clean up this swimming pool or your heart. Now the problem is you apply a law and the valve is open back up and sewage is dumping again. Now it's going to be real hard to clean out a swimming pool if you're constantly dumping in 
That's the whole idea. When you place your faith into Christ and the cross, then the power to the sin factory, the sin nature, is shut off. It's like shutting the power off at the pole outside. If we shut the power off to the pole, coming to the pole, the house would have no power. That's the idea. And we do that through faith in Christ and the cross. You add law and power is coming back. And then boom, 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 the factory kicks back up again and starts dumping and dumping. And when that happens and you're a believer, you're going to do things that you didn't even do before you got saved. And you will be just like Paul was in Romans 7 and you won't understand what is happening. Paul said, I, I, I do what I don't want to do. That's what I find myself doing. And the thing I want to do, I, 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 I don't do. Yeah. Yeah. Really what Paul's saying is, I don't understand what's happening. He loved the Lord, was saved, uh, was baptized in the Holy Spirit, but was trying to live by law. And the sin nature was dominating him. And he was doing things that... He never understood. He didn't understand what in the world. How am I? What? You will. You'll do things as though you're not even saved. But you. But you are saved. <laughs> so you're miserable <coughs> while you're doing it Amen. because you are saved. But this, you haven't. You are saved with an active sin nature. <laughs> you have a divine nature and a sin nature at the same time. You're gonna be miserable. Because you're constantly going to be doing the wrong thing. And you don't know how to stop. But yet you love God. So you're grieved when you do the wrong thing. And you ask for forgiveness every time you do the wrong thing. But the problem is forgiveness is not deliverance. So you get forgiveness in cleansing. And God's faithful to forgive every time that you ask for forgiveness. Because you, if you're saved, you really mean it. Lord, forgive me. I'm, I'm sorry. But yet, you'll turn around, not two seconds after you ask for forgiveness, and you'll turn around and do the same thing. Because you've never addressed that problem. You've addressed forgiveness, but forgiveness is not deliverance. You only find it in the cross. You'll find forgiveness in the cross, you'll find deliverance in the cross. There's no other, there's no other place, no other way. So, now that we've gone through all of that... Read it. Go ahead. Read it. Sorry. Power of sin is law. That one. Hmm. It's First Corinthians fifteen fifty six. You get first. What was First Corinthians fifteen fifty six? Fifty six. And if you wanted the um, that the law is not made for a righteous person, it's First Timothy one um, nine. Everybody got it. Yeah. Okay, uh, however, back to, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. <laughs> however, man uh, consciously or unconsciously keeps trying to earn salvation by keeping rules, doing things, being religious, carrying out good deeds, etc., etc. Now, we need to understand that, that word salvation, actually, there's three things in that word salvation. Salvation includes justification, sanctification, and glorification. A lot of times we see the word salvation and we just think, bang, that's when you get saved. But salvation is actually all three. Justification, sanctification, glorification. That all falls under the umbrella of salvation. When God's talked about salvation, he's thinking about all three. Oh yeah, I've accepted the Lord, got saved. My salvation experience. That's the way we think about it most of the time. There's salvation experiences every day. <laughs> it's ongoing and it ain't going to stop until the rapture. And then when that happens, <laughs> you've reached it. <laughs> it's done. It is done. The presence of sin is gone. Can't wait for that. Amen. For the presence of sin to be gone. Hmm. However, man consciously and unconsciously keeps trying to earn justification, sanctification, and glorification by keeping rules, doing things, being religious, carrying out good deeds, etc. Uh, now, based off of that, 
this problem was the problem from the very beginning and is still a problem now. It began with Adam and Eve in the garden immediately after their fall when they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 7. Sarah. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Because they saw their nakedness. They tried, they set out to fix their nakedness on their own with some fig leaves. <laughs> and then it said in, uh, I think it's Genesis three twenty one. However, the Lord made coats of skin and clothed them. Now the coats of skin were meant to portray the coming Redeemer. See, at this point, he would have had to get the skin from somewhere. Well, it wasn't from another human because we didn't have skin at that time. But an animal did. That's where you see the first animal sacrifice. Animal sacrifice to make a covering for mankind. Well, that animal sacrifice was a type of Christ. Shedding his blood. Shedding his blood. Mm. And that animal became a covering for Adam and Eve to cover their nakedness. Mm -hmm. We got that exact thing in Christ Jesus. Yeah. He died. He was sacrificed. He was that animal. And now we are in him. He is our Covering. See, that's why you don't need a covering of another man. You got the best covering that there is. You don't need a covering of a denomination. You have the best covering that there is. You have been clothed in Christ Jesus. That's why when God looks at you, he doesn't see you. He sees his son. Right. And he doesn't see your imperfection and your non-law keeping. He sees a perfect law keeper because Jesus kept it perfect. Yes. Amen. Whatever Jesus is, that's what he sees. That's some good news. <laughs> that's good news. That animal was a type of Christ and what he would do at the cross. That covering is a type of being in Christ. We are clothed in him. You, do you know that you're not naked today in Christ? Amen. You're not naked in Christ today. You are not open to the judgment of God because you're in Christ. Glory. Remember, they got in the house and the death angel passed over because of the blood on the doorpost. But if they would have gotten out of the house, likewise, you get outside of Christ. And you're open to the judgment of God. Which was meant to portray the coming redemption. Which would be afforded by a sinless victim, the Lord Jesus Christ. The proposed solution of the fig leaf has continued in one form or the other. Almost always religious. We don't, a lot of times we don't see it that way, but we try to cover our nakedness up with religious action. Yeah. Well, I'm, I, know I, I know I'm not perfect and I know I fail a lot, but my good works and stuff that I do. We don't, we don't, we never say it. We don't actually say it with our mouth, but in our heart, that's where we're at. Because we don't know what to do. We don't know how to stop failing. So if I don't know how to stop failing, then honestly, some of it's just through not knowing the word of God. But some of it is, to be honest, I think it's part not knowing the word of God. And it's partly, I just don't know what else to do. Because I know I'm failing. So maybe. 
just maybe if I do enough. I really think that that's the heart of some. I don't think that every person that is in law is just an outright rebellion against the plan of God. I'm sorry, I don't think that. I think some of it is just, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do, I don't um, I think that it's really subtle sometimes. And especially for a new Christian coming in, someone who doesn't have a foundation, who hasn't known previously, they just got saved, they just want to serve the Lord. <clears throat> They get told in some churches, okay, we're going to send you to this class and then this class and this class to try to keep them so busy that they almost don't have time to sin. Mm-hmm. And they find that they're, they're still sinning. You're right, right. Because you can't, that's not how how it works. And they don't know any better. They don't understand why they're doing everything their church has told them to do. That's why it's so important who you listen to, right. who you're allowing to tell you how to live for the Lord. That's why we have to know God's word for ourselves. Right. Because there there are a lot of really awesome people out there who I think do know the gospel and they do preach it correctly, but not everyone does. So if you know God's word yourself, then there's always a standard for you to compare something to. Okay, this is what my pastor told me to do. Does this line up with God's word? And if it doesn't, then God's word is the one that you have to follow. Right. Yes, and that it, it, it is true. It's absolutely true. And it's a hard thing to say, and it's never fun to say. And um, but the truth is, is that most people. Most believers don't know how to live for God Amen. properly. Amen. It's, it's not fun to say. It's hard to say. Especially if you're a younger person in the faith and there are elders in the faith. That's not easy to say because you tell someone that's been doing something for 30 years more that they don't understand how to live for God. And what do you think their reaction is going to be? You think it's just going to be, oh, thanks for telling me. I'm going to give you a hug and we're going to love each other. <laughs> you think it's something different. That's not, that's not reality. It's not right that the reaction would be different. It's not, it's not right. But at the same time, if you make that statement, you can't think that it's just all going to be cool. People are going to get offended. You just told them that they don't know how to live for God. That's not not fun. See that we talked about it before, being in ministry, that the that in, if you're in the fivefold ministry, your job is to reprove, rebuke, exhort, uh, a few other things, and we like it when we get to exhort. But when it comes to rebuking, we'll shy away so fast. And we'll sugarcoat it up so fast. Because what's going to happen is you're going to experience some persecution. See, that's, the, I'm, that's the, you want to talk about per, real, per, I'm talking about persecution. You preach the true gospel and you preach it and teach it in its purity. You're going to step on some toes. People are going to get mad at you. People are going to leave. Not going to want to talk to you. People that were close to you aren't going to want to be close to you anymore because you preach from the word of God, the truth, and it stepped on their toes. And they t- it's called the offense of the cross. And the only thing that they know to do is to lash out against the messenger because they can't do it against the message because it's biblical. If you're a minister, ministers want to be liked by people. I, that might be a shocker, but <laughs> I want to be liked. Well, everybody. Does. Amen. That's right. <laughs> if someone, I'll just tell you, if somebody, if somebody does nothing but flatter you all the time, they don't love you. Yeah. Yeah. They don't love you. 
the world might tell you that that's love. And that, uh, honestly, that's how most young people think love works. They just so sweet to me all the time. This and that. But they never, y'all ain't never, you know, butted heads on anything? No. Y'all don't love each other. You're going to experience those things in in true love. You're going to experience those things. But the thing that is truer more than anything is that your love still remains. We might butt heads, but man, I still love you. And I ain't planning on going anywhere. See, that's love. Love is not a feeling. Mm -hmm. It's a commitment. It's a covenant. That's right. That's a better word than commitment. It's, It's stronger. It's a covenant. It's not just a, well, you make me feel good. As long as you make me feel good, I'll stick around. But the moment you don't, that's why I got so many divorce in the world and in the church. Don't even understand what covenant is anymore. It's also why so many people don't from church to church. Yeah, that's true. And you make me feel good when I first came in. Oh, yeah. You love me, everything's done. Now you're talking about on my toes, now you're talking about. I'll tell you, I just, for me, I'll just tell you what, what I want for me. I want to be right with God. I want, I want to be right with God. If Brother Danny, if my, if anybody, I don't care who, if a five-year-old comes and rebukes me and he's got scripture for it, then he's right and I'm wrong. That's right. And it doesn't matter. It wouldn't matter anything. And this whole thing, and I know that there's some, some, you know, apostles can't be wrong. Yeah, you can. Last time I checked, Peter was an apostle. And Paul rebuked him openly. Right. See, because whatever your calling is doesn't change the fact that you're a, a sinful man with a sin nature. Jesus did beat my poor Peter. <laughs> Peter got it a few times. <laughs> he got it a few times, but he always he was, he was yeah. there. He was Peter. You want to learn something from Peter's life? It's how when you fail, get up. When you fail, get up. When you fail. Get up. Yes, Peter failed a lot. We sure do like to mess with Peter about his failure. But the one thing we don't talk about as much is the fact that he got up every time. He failed. And he didn't have just a little fail. He failed royally in front of everybody. Everybody knew that he rejected God. That he rejected Christ. Everybody knew that. That was blatantly open. And everybody knew that he said, I would never. It's, It's in scripture written down for everyone to see. But yet... Peter preached the first message yes. Yes. and 3,000 souls were saved Amen. because he got back up. Right. See, Judas and Peter they both denied Christ. But yet, Peter fell on the grace of God. Yes. Judas hung himself. Judas didn't fall on the grace of God. Peter did. And he was restored. And through this life, you're going to fail. Not if you fail. Not when, not if, but when you fail. Not if you fail, when you fail. And when you fall, get your eyes on Jesus. They should have never moved from Him, which is why you fail in the first place. But fix your eyes back on Christ and what He's done for you at the cross, and you'll be able to get back up. And you'll keep walking. And you'll fall again eventually. Mm-hmm. And you fix your eyes on Jesus. And what he did at the see that's the fight of faith. We're talking about the good fight of faith. That's the fight of faith. You won't fail. You're gonna fail. But the cross will never fail. That's true. The sacrifice of Christ will never fail. Amen. The blood will never fail. Amen. You're gonna fall left. You're gonna stumble all over the promised land. But I know a man who will never fail. Amen. Jesus and what he's done will never, 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 never fail. And the scripture said about Abraham, he staggered not. 
even though you look in scripture and we know Abraham went all, he staggered everywhere. <laughs> but justification. God looked at Abraham and said, he staggered not. He staggered not at God's promise. A redeemer is coming, Abraham. See, he staggered, but he didn't stagger at the promise of a redeemer coming. And God said, righteous. Staggered not. What do you mean, Abraham? No, no, no. It's what God says. He said he staggered not. Because God was looking at where his faith was, not his actions. He looks at, thank God, he looks at us the same way. Not our actions, but where our faith is placed. You got true, proper faith placed in the right thing, you're going to have some clean actions. This going to happen. It's going to happen. There's going to be evidence. That you got properly placed faith. You're going to see fruit. Mm -hmm. It's not. It, it's in, it is impossible to have your faith. In Christ and the cross. And not bear fruit. I'll just say. It is not possible to not bear fruit. Mm -hmm. Because you're connected to the vine. You're going to bear fruit. You don't have to try. It's just going to happen. Because you're a tree planted by the water. <laughs> okay, verse 20 declares that not one member of the human race, however good and beautiful morally, at least they think, can procure by meritous efforts a righteousness that God will accept. Also, that the law of Moses was given not to enable man to furnish himself with this needed righteousness, but to make him conscious that he is a sinner and therefore unrighteous. So the law is simply to show you you're a sinner and you're unrighteous. And you need help. <laughs> you need a savior. <laughs> the law is meant to show you that you cannot qualify for relationship with God. It is meant to disqualify you. It is meant to make you run to Christ. It says in Galatians, it says the law was our tutor, our schoolmaster, to bring us to Christ. The law, see, now we're really starting to see how foolish it is for a believer to live by law. You know what it's going to do? It's going to disqualify you. That's the purpose of the law, to disqualify you disqualify you so here I am a believer and I have right I have righteousness freely given to me that qualifies me for a relationship with God but yet when I choose to live by law it disqualifies me so I'm miserable because I think I just never measure up you don't measure up way to go buddy to take you that. that's what the law is for to show you how you don't measure up so it's like you're hitting your head against a brick wall well, I just don't measure up. And then we say, well, I'm just humble. No, that's pride. You're so focused on yourself. That's what pride is, a self-focus. I'm so focused on myself. Well, I just, oh, praise God, I just don't measure up. Yeah, none of us do. Wait, amen, you don't measure up. I heard uh, Brother Borg when I was in Bible college. He said, you know, sometimes... Sometimes it's, it, the, one of the best things that you can do is just agree with your adversary sometimes. The yeah. devil's going to come and say, well, you don't measure up. Amen, brother. I know I don't measure up. But in Christ. That's it. But then it's what happens. Well, you don't measure up. And you're like, oh, man, I don't measure up. I mean, I'm and then it, it just it gets worse. Well, you failed here and you failed and you did this. Oh, man, it's right, man. Oh, man, God's not pleased with me. Well, he wasn't ever pleased with you based off of what you did anyway. He was pleased with you because of faith. It says in Hebrews, it is impossible to please God but by faith. So it's by faith that you got in. So when the enemy comes and tells you, oh, well, you, oh, well, you did blah, 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 blah. You did this. Oh, you're not it. Oh, oh, God's not pleased with you now. Well, he wasn't pleased with me by my actions anyway. He was pleased with me by my faith. So I'll stay there. In Christ. In Christ. In Christ.
He's pleased with me because I'm in Christ. See, he'll never be pleased with me because I can never measure up. But he is pleased with his son. So if I'm in Christ, then all he sees is his son. And therefore, he's pleased with me. Why would I leave that? I think I'll stand in the armor of the Lord. Instead of a moment. Where an arrow can pierce me. Just give us a quick, if you can, give a quick uh, background of what Paul's just kind of, not not background of the whole yeah. thing, but, but that well, statement. The he was talking about the, the, there were Judaizers that came into that church trying to say to the, uh, the believers there, you know, that you also need to be circumcised. You, it's good that you got saved. It's good that you can in Christ. Now, what we're talking about this morning Plus, you need this. And, uh, and, and so Paul's addressing that. You're, you're going back to something that was never meant to save. You're going back to something that cannot save. If you go back to the law, which he said in the previous verse, um, he said, for I test you. If you try to go back to the law, then you got to be a debtor to the whole thing. If you want to go back to one part of it, you're responsible for the whole law. Right. Uh, and so that's why he said in verse 34, I testify again to every man who is circumcised uh, that he is a debtor. He's not meaning that who already were circumcised, but if you're going if you, if to get circumcised because you think you got to fulfill some law, then you become a debtor to the whole law. And Christ has become of no effect to you, whoever you who think you need to be justified by a law. Christ plus this. You are fallen from grace. You become disqualified for grace. In other words, grace is no longer operating. Now you're under law. And guess what happens? Sin nature Which is exactly what they were having a problem with there. That's why in chapter 6, he said, Hey, those of you who are spiritual, meaning under Christ by faith, you know, that restore such a one who has been caught in fault. Because that's what was happening. Sin nature reviving there with falling. The law condemns. Uh, and yeah, you try to live by law, or like what the scripture says, you're indebted to the whole law. Well, now you, mm -hmm. you have to, if you want to answer to one thing of the law, you got to answer to all of it. Well, you fail right there. You, you haven't kept the whole thing perfectly, so you don't have a shot. Well, that's why it doesn't work when you tell someone that's struggling with something, well, just don't do it. You know what I'm saying? Just don't. Try harder. I mean, there's a lot of different things. Pray harder. Pray, yeah. pray harder. See, they're already in bondage to the sin that they're committing. They can't stop. They're in bondage. You turn around and say, well, you know, if you just read more, you've just added another bondage. You've added more weight on them already. That's what he said. You, you add more weight upon them and you don't even lift a finger. Right. This is what we've done to people in the church, and it's not scriptural. It's not right, and it will. It's condemnation. We're heaping. It's like heaping condemnation on them. Well, you know, brother. Really, what we're saying, even though we never say it, is well. I don't know. I don't struggle with that. I don't struggle with that. But there's something in our lives that we do struggle with, whether somebody knows about it or not. And I don't need to know. What your struggle is to know that you have one. Because scripture bears it out pretty plainly. I'm not reading your mail. Just scripture is reading your mail. Because it tells us everything we need to know. Well, there's something in each of our lives. That God's trying to work us through. Something we struggle with. For some it might be anger. For some it might be bitterness. For some it might be hurt. For some it might just be some failure. Unforgiveness. For some, it's alcohol. 
See, whatever your it is, I don't need to know. Nobody needs to know. God knows. That's what matters. God knows. You ain't got to go stand on it. Well, I'm just going to confess to everyone that I, you didn't do nothing. You didn't do anything at all. That's not needed. What's needed is Christ and what He's done at the cross. And if someone really understands the gospel and how God works, if someone understands how to live for God, then if they come to you and they say, oh man, I'm struggling with such and such, then your answer is, Christ already defeated that. He defeated that at the cross. When he was crucified, you were crucified. You are placed into him. When he was buried, you were buried. When he was raised, you were raised. You are dead to that. The problem is we get things, we've gotten things backwards. We think that whatever it is, is dead. No, you're dead to it. It doesn't say that you won't experience the lusts of the flesh. It says you won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And I've heard people say, well, if you just don't, well, if you don't desire it, it never, it does not say that you will not experience the lust of the flesh. It doesn't say that anywhere in Scripture that you will not experience the lust of the flesh. It does, however, say that you won't fulfill the lust. If you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh, but you're going to experience them. And what happens is we experience them and we're like, oh gosh, whoa, wait, what? It doesn't say that you won't not experience it. It says you don't have to fulfill it. Well, why don't I have to fulfill it? Because it's already been defeated. At one point in time, I struggled with chewing tobacco. I'm a saved, love the Lord on my heart. Learning the message of the cross in Bible college. The one place you're not supposed to. You know, right? That's the rule. But Bible college, man, you can't be having that in the Bible college. I was struggling. I didn't know how to stop. But I wanted to stop. So you can't say, well, you're doing it just because you want to. No, no, I wanted to stop. The divine nature in me wanted to stop. I didn't want it in my life. But yet, man, I kept, the craving would come and man, I give into it. I was like, man. <laughs> and then there came a day, and I've told this story before, but then there came a day where I, the craving came, I gave into the craving, and it was about two seconds after I gave into it that all of a sudden it hit me, and I went, wait a minute, I don't have to do this. I don't have to do this. And I took it out, threw the can away, never bought one ever again. I, I see it, and I smell it, and the craving can even come. I experienced it the other day. The craving came, but I knew. I don't see. I don't answer to that any longer because I'm. I've been crucified to it. I am the one that is dead to it. We get it backwards. We think, oh, it's dead. No, no, it's alive and well. <laughs> it's you. You were supposed to be dead. That's what's supposed to happen. And but then we do. We get it like flip flopped around, and we're like, "Oh, I don't understand why I'm experiencing this." And I've even I have I've, I've heard of it preached and taught. Well, you know, you just you just won't have the desire anymore. <laughs> it did happen to me the other day. I had a desire for tobacco, and I don't know how long. But then I was at work and saw someone with one in their back pocket and I could smell it and it hit me a desire for it hit me and I was like dude I had not experienced a desire for this but it didn't have it doesn't have dominion over me yeah. so now when the desire comes I don't just hook a line sink or follow it I don't I don't fulfill yeah. the desire I don't fulfill the lust of the flesh, but I do experience it, but I don't fulfill it. I do think that some of them seem to go away. I don't. I don't even have a desire for alcohol. I don't have a desire to cuss. 
Nothing. So I think some of them do, but there are some. You look here distracting, you know, some people will listen to you and go, I don't understand that. Because there's never been an issue. But the, what you were talking about earlier, you get. Everybody has that one thing that always seems to want to come up. Mm -hmm. Always seems to want to come up and, and have to deal with it. It'd be an anger or impatience or impatience is sin. Yep. Uh, you know, all these things that they're lust, they're, they're out of the flesh. Right. Why do we get impatient with people? Because it's selfish. <laughs> and we think people ought to do things the way that we want them to do. Right. <laughs> so, so they're more like me. <laughs> so, yeah, sometimes that wants to come up, but that can't have, just because we experience that in our heart doesn't mean that we have that. It has to have dominion over us. So, so we can't compare and look at one person and say, well, that person is describing this. I don't understand how they could have a problem with that. That's, you know, what is that thing for you? Oh, yeah. Everybody has an it. Whatever it is, it's not. And it's different for each one of us. And the that's answer for that it is the same. same across the board. But that go, goes back to kind of how you let it. We're, we're not going to go any farther, but how you let, how you let it off. Um, Talking about saying that all some sort of uh, relative righteousness, and as believers, we'll do that with amongst other believers. Yeah. Like, well, I'm not perfect, but and I don't have that problem. I don't have that it. Right. But you do have an it. And the answer for their it's the same for your it. So why don't you eat off your own plate of sin and leave them alone? Right. <laughs> I mean, that's the truth. We just, I mean. Jesus told the Pharisees that the publicans and the harlots would get into heaven before them because their sin of hypocrisy was so much more. It was it was worse to him than their because their sin was outward. Everyone can see dip. Everyone can see outward. Everyone can see those kind of sins. They're very evident. So those are the ones where like, wow, I'm a yeah. Christian. Yeah. But you. Are a Pharisee on the inside, and you think you're better than other people, and you tear people down. That's the one that the Lord's concerned about. He's concerned about our motives or the things in our heart. Because just like you said, when you wanted your deed to go away, He wasn't concerned about that. He knew He'd take care of that. But there was things in your heart that He was much more worried about. The hidden, the hidden ones, the hidden sin in our heart. Uh, is what causes more damage than the visible alcohol and smoking. And we see them and we see them as horrible. And they are sin and it's wrong. But honestly, I, they don't really hold a candlestick to the inward sins of pride. Uh, many things. Yeah, I mean, there's many things. It is the inward, like what Brittany says, the inward ones that are, they're not visibly seen, therefore that's why they're worse. Is they can say hidden and dormant, even in the life of a believer for so long, they can say hidden like they're not even there. So God will put you in a fire, a test, a trial to show you what's there. Yeah, yeah we talked about the... Uh, uh, Secret sin, you know, that being some of the worst. And oftentimes we just think secret sin is the thing that we do that we don't want anybody else to know. You know, that secret thing that we're hiding from everybody else. The most dangerous, and that's bad, but the most dangerous one is the one that you hide from yourself. The one that you won't admit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you won't even admit it to God that there's an issue there. And so there's the offense of the cross. Yeah. The cross comes in. And yes, there's grace at the cross, and we, we like to talk about all the grace and Jesus' blood for our forgiveness, but there also comes an offense there when it strikes at the heart of our problem and shows us what our problem is, and we're like, well, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know what that problem And now we just lie to God. <laughs> you know, like we said, if you're there on Wednesday, We've been talking about the scripture where it talks about love is patient, love is kind, love is, and we know that from the scripture that it's, the Bible says God is love, you know. So the very nature of that love is, is God him, himself. 
So really what the problem is, well, i got a problem with patience. But really, the scripture bears out, you got a problem with love. Because if love is patient, your problem is that you, it's not that you have to work on your patience. I got to go to a <coughs> seminar so they can teach me how to be more patient. Mm -hmm. I got a problem with love. That's right. I don't love that person that I'm impatient with. And so that the cross strikes at that, and we either have to accept that and admit that, or we, or we go on. <laughs> Uh, about the way that we've always lived and we struggle. We struggle. That struck home to me while that, you know, when I, when I was thinking about it and I realized that, because I, I don't know about you, but I have a problem with patience sometimes with certain people, you know, and uh, nobody in here. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, and I... And the reality of that hit me, and the Lord began to deal with me and said, you don't love them enough. You don't, your love for them is, is not becoming perfect in me. I'm like, Lord, but I do love them. And I had to come to the reality that God is right. <laughs> He's right about me. And the only place I can go to remedy that is to go to Him and go, Come on, I'm sorry, I repent of that. I need, I can't, it's impossible. I don't know how to fix this, so I need you. That's right. You have to help me here. You have to, yes. so I have to go to that. This, that's what he said. The remedy for everything that God shows us is the same. There's no new remedy out there that we're going to have to find. God's not scratching his head going, well, that's a tough one. So we're going to have to, like, the cross plus. It's always everything. What he did there is the remedy yes. for everything that we find in, in our life. Frank, do you have anything to add to that? Or? Okay. I just felt like sharing that.